Hey, you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. So I was thinking about what in the world am I going to say to you the last message that I get to preach in 2022? Because 2022 has been a wild year. How many of you guys have been with us this whole year? Some of you made it over. For those of you that don't know, we actually transitioned from Lithia to Brandon. And it was this crazy culmination of a God story and a God, God dream and this prophetic word where God was going to bring us together. How many of you know it's amazing when you get to be a part of something when God speaks it happening? It's one thing to receive the word. You receive the word. It's awesome. Man, God spoke to us. But it's a whole other thing where you are, when you are standing in the middle of God's, what God spoke to you. And so this year has been crazy from God bringing us together to the expansion of the community, to the prayer room going from where we have six hours to 20 something hours in a week, the school being launched and there being 60 students baptizing literally hundreds of people. As, as I'm going on sabbatical on this time, I'm just thinking, God, I just want to process all that you've done. Because stewardship is not just applied to our money. People talk about stewardship and they just apply it to money. But to those who do not steward well what God has given, he will stop receiving. It's a stewardship thing. That's even in the context of what he does. This is why this season of thankfulness is so important. Your ability to acknowledge and give thanks for what he is doing protects what he is about to do. It opens up the door for God to say, look, when I move, he pays attention. When she moves, they pay attention. Therefore, I can entrust them with more because this whole thing is about stewardship. This is not about putting butts in seats. This is about hearing the voice of the Lord and obeying his voice. And to him who much is given, much is required. So we want to be a people that we not only ask God for more, but that we do something with what he has given us. And so that's why we're so big about this, man, about stewarding God's narrative. Many people talk about their narrative, what they got going on, what they got, what they got moving and grooving, blah, blah. But we want to talk about what God is doing. What has God done? Let's take a step back. I love in Philippians 2 where it says, Jesus made himself of no reputation. He lowered himself. He made himself of no reputation. Therefore, all of us, no matter where we find ourselves in life, we can acknowledge and we can identify with him. From the highest to the lowest. He was the king of kings. But he made himself of no reputation. Therefore, why do I say this? In any season in life, no matter where you find yourself in this room, you could identify with the person of Jesus. And I just have so much faith and anticipation in my heart that God is on the move. Now, some of you, you have a hard time amening that because it's been a difficult year. And for different people, it's been difficult years and seasons. How many of you know it happens this way? A hard day becomes a hard week, and a hard week becomes a long month, and then it's a season, and then it's a year, and then every year becomes a narrative. This was just a tough year. And I believe as we were singing, it's the year of Jubilee, that God is wanting to restore all things back to his children. This is not just a feel-good myth. This is gospel, that God's intention for his children is to take you from glory to glory and strength to strength, that he wants to bless you. But along the way of him blessing you, it doesn't always look the way you think it's going to look. Last week, you heard a testimony on this stage. It was, it was one of my favorite Sundays we've ever had. I just, want to, I just want to honor Cove and his vulnerability last week and sharing with us the journey he's on. And while he is in a place today where maybe he's never been before in different areas of his life, 
the process to get to that place was painful. I just want to say law there for a moment. Because many times as we pray, we don't realize that right now, say right now. Right now you may be right in the middle of God answering that prayer that you prayed. As we've declared song, James 3, this is why it's so important that you don't only only sing songs that you realize what you're proclaiming. (laughs) Because at a certain point, after singing that song for three years, God's going to lean in and say, let's see if he really means that. For real. Like, let's see if they're really about that life. Or if it's just a melody with some words attached to it. And so I love this because as God has entrusted us with more, the greater things get, the lower we must go. Jesus was constantly redirecting the attention and what it meant to be great. And our ideology of greatness, I would, I would assume, I would bet money is way different than God's ideology of greatness. Our perception and what we call great probably doesn't look the same. Like on judgment day, I'm not sure that what we consider great is what God's going to consider great. So I was listening to a podcast the other day. I was driving over to Maryland Island and they were talking about this dynamic. He said, one day we're all going to be standing before the throne room and they're going to be giving it. We all give account for our lives. Whether you believe this or not, it is going to happen. We are going to stand before the King of Kings and we're going to give account for our lives. And for some of us, we would have said, well, God, we sacrificed a lot. We had to go through COVID. People, they, they bashed us on Facebook. They said things that hurt. And then a couple of people down the line, there'll be someone from Iran. I was like, yeah, yeah, every time I shared the gospel, I was, I, I almost hard to even say the words. I was at risk of rape, of being beat, tortured. And this is the dynamic that we live in. And so the way for us to preserve ourselves on this God journey, and what I really want to talk about today is when we peel back all the layers, what does it look like for us to have a vulnerable heart before the Lord? I don't want to just gloss over what happened last week and it be a, wow, that was a good weekend. When God begins to do something, He opens the invitation to do it in the context of community. And he's giving us all the invitation and, and the beckoning and the call for us to step in because some of you, you've been stuck for a long time. You heard Covington's testimony and he shared about how God, God broke brokenness. And you heard that message and something inside of you was like, oh. but yet still you left right into some brokenness. How many of you know the Bible calls Satan the accuser of the brethren? That's why we know that every week as truth is being proclaimed, when you go back home, the first thing you're going to hit is some accusation. You are, you are this, you are that. Look at what you've done. Look at who you are. And for many of us, we have felt stuck. We have felt literally stuck. We're in worship. We sit down. We don't feel the songs anymore. I'm not saying anything if you sit down. I know, man, we're on a slope floor. It's for real hurt. It's for real pain on your knees. (laughs) <laughs> but what I'm saying is for some of us, we're standing, but on the inside, we're sitting. We've lost our song. 
We've lost our ability to engage. And I, and I want to say to us as a community that God, he's giving us the opportunity to open up our hearts and to be broken from the power of brokenness. To stop identifying in this way. To stop giving ourselves like, I love that Cuff said last week, I had to make a choice. At a certain point, I had to make a choice and come into agreement with truth. Are you with me? Nobody wants to hear this message. I, I wish I could have spoken something like, revival is coming. But the reality is none of us in a place of brokenness can even steward revival. Read revival history, how many of them ended really, really badly. In rooms depressed because for years, nobody's talking about what's going on with your heart. Like what's going on on the inside? And this is the danger that when we become greater on the outside than on the inside, we're not really great at all. God searches the motives of the heart. He's looking on the outside. It's why when God was choosing a new king, they were looking at all the people who had outside. And, and God was clear, you look at the outside, but I'm looking at the inside. And he chose David, who nobody thought was qualified. Because God is looking on the inside, which means it's speaking to me. God is so intentional in this season of calling you to draw near to him. We've been talking about this for months. James 4, verse 8, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. He's inviting us as a community, but also individually to draw near to him. And drawing near to him is not about a physical, there is a measure. Because you hear that, you're like, man, here he goes, bro. He's talking about more prayer rooms, putting in the hours, bless God, come in. But the greater reality of drawing near to God would be that your heart would move closer and closer to him. Like the principle of intimacy is not about physical proximity. You've been around those people where they've been married for 50 years and they're miserable. Because it doesn't matter. You can be in physical proximity, but your heart can be distant. And you feel that tension. And what God is saying to us is, man, would you allow me into your heart? Would you open up your heart? This is the thing about intimacy. Intimacy is not so much about physical affection as it is about information. I know that I'm becoming intimate when I'm letting somebody into my life. I'm opening up my heart and I'm saying, here, I don't know what you're going to do because this is the part about vulnerability, right? A posture of vulnerability means it is not always safe. I'm opening up myself up to a place and I don't know what you're going to do with what I am doing, but I'm trusting you. Now this begins with God because even as we sing songs about God as Abba and He being Father, tears begin to flow because many of us, we grew up fatherless. And we've been lying to ourselves for decades saying it doesn't matter, it's not affecting me. Except, it gets really quiet. Except when we start to engage with God in a personal way, we feel like he is distant. And then we begin to believe lies like, well, I just don't even know if I really even belong here. I just don't, I don't even like, I, feel, I don't even know because you always feel on the outside because this is the tendency of someone who struggles with an orphan spirit. No matter how grafted in they are, they always feel on the outside. And I'm not saying that in a derogatory like, oh my gosh, look at you. I'm just saying, let's call a spade a spade. And let's be delivered and realize that God is calling us into family. Now for some of us, we're like, oh no. 
because we got dysfunctional family and then the other one, other people, we have this perception of family that's just not real. Well, I don't wanna do kingdom and I don't wanna do family or church in that way because I've been hurt. They violated, but, but I don't know when we got to the, to the conclusion that family's perfect. Some of you just went through Thanksgiving, bro. It's a good time to talk about this. <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about. You got crazy Uncle Joe. Not you, Joe, not you, not you. But you've got, you've got some dynamics going on that when we use the word family, it keeps us out because like I just, but in the context of kingdom, we've talked about this all the time. I wanna keep it before you. What was birthed out of an encounter with the Holy Spirit in an upper, upper room was family. It was a people that they're like, I don't even own anything anymore. It's not about possessions. It's just saying everything I have is God's and I want to do it in the context of family. What am I saying? Just because you step in the kingdom of family doesn't mean you're never going to get hurt again. Some of you quit before you start. And it's like, man, family is messy. M-E-S-S-Y. It's messy. That's why the Bible is clear that we must make room for each other's faults. Make allowances, like let there be room for faults because as you're walking together, things are gonna happen. And what really makes us family is when I can look at you in the midst of that dysfunction and I can lean in and say, I'm here. I'm not pulling away, I'm not drawing away when you hurt me, I'm opening myself up and I'm saying, we're going on this journey together. Are you with me? So many times when we come into rooms like this, we talk about the cost of following Jesus. And Jesus talked about the cost of following him, right? We remember this all throughout the gospels. Foxes have dens. Leave your mother and your father. Let, let the dead bury the dead. But the reality is as we progress, we begin to realize some of you are here. What you have given up, is, it pales in comparison to what you have gained. See, a few in the room have, have already realized that that you forget about all you've given up when you begin to get all that's available to you as a son and a daughter. That's why I said what I said about the orphan spirit because all that's available to you cannot be accessed with that kind of a spirit. You've got to acknowledge it, repent of it, and you've got to throw yourself into family so that the enemy doesn't put before you look at all that you're giving up. And what are you doing it for? And why are you here? What's the point? This is how people are like, I don't need church. I can do church at home. It could just be me and God. No, you can't. You really can't. There are some parts of God, that's why he says, some are the hand, some are the foot. How can the hand say to the foot, I don't need you? Because we need one another. Because there is an aspect of God that I could only see when I hang out with Jamie. There's, a, there's just a, a part of God that is reserved. That he, I, I'm, I'm getting somewhere, but I got to build a foundation for where I'm getting. There's an aspect of God that I could only see through you. Therefore, the conclusion I have to come to is I need you. In order for us to live in that kind of way, it is going to require a vulnerable heart. So James 4 again, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. A lot of times hands in the Bible have to do with motives, actions. So I want you to connect these two that when we begin to sin, it begins to affect our motives. 
when we begin, when we begin to, to let things into our hearts that don't belong in our hearts, it causes double-mindedness, instability, the inability to love God. The primary command is what? What's the, what's the first commandment? You will love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. A double-minded person cannot do this. Cuff talked about it last week. I wish he would have done like he, he actually did an impression of me at the staff meeting. That was quite embarrassing, but hey. But this is the reality of why we talk about it. When you come to church every week and you wonder, do I even really belong? How can you receive all God has for you? And the enemy doesn't have to destroy your life to derail you. He just has to get you to believe that your blessing is just around the corner. If you were to just go to such and such church, maybe if one day with Covington, it was maybe one day when I have an encounter like Kenny or like Gio. And it's these subtle things that keep you trapped. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I know I'm talking to somebody. I could feel it right here. <laughs> I should have moved on 15 minutes ago, but I can't. Because he's teaching us what it means to draw near to him, to give him our hands and our motives and our actions, to make sure our hearts are postured before him, but it requires vulnerability. <laughs> I know this is hard, bro. For some of you men in the room, you're like, bro, will you just move on? Because I've been in these rooms and I feel like it's mercy and grace that God was, would pause us here because we have been internally frustrated. And everybody knows it. Your wife knows it. Your husband knows it. Your friends know it. Your coworkers know it. It's like everybody knows it. And so we live our lives like this, just like all the time clenched, waiting, like trying to, trying to manage this frustration. When in reality, this is not about managing. It's about surrendering. The amount of freedom that there is in surrender. And some of you, you're frustrated because you're like, well, I wish I would have just never gone through that. I just, want to, I just want to prophesy to you that the process of redemption and reconciliation is sweeter than if it would have never happened at all. There's something about being in a really broken state and feeling God's hand pick you up and scoop you out that lets you know who he really is. There are aspects of God that you learn in the valley of the shadow of death that you never learn in the mountain highs. Amen. Nobody can share it with you. It's like having a kid. You can hear about having a kid all day long, but it ain't nothing like having one. You could think you like kids, understand it, but like, bro, when that shows up, you're like, dang. I didn't know. It's a wrecking ball. But then there's also all these feelings, right? There's all these feelings. And this is where God is wanting to take us as a people. Why am I sharing this? Because I, I believe that God, he doesn't want us to step into 2023 the way we've been walking 2022. Now you're waiting for a Holy Spirit, lightning bolt, everything's changed. Woo! Maybe. Or maybe you have to make a choice. Like maybe you need to go to your wife and repent. Like maybe some relationships need to be severed. So quiet. I love it. 
I don't know, man. I'm not here to tell you what it would be, what you need to do to like step into full intimacy with God. But I do know like how many of you could stand to have a little bit more God? Good, God bless it. Me too. So like, as I'm going, I'm not like, this is the thing about church. We don't acknowledge that every single one of us, we have brokenness. That's why last week was so important because we get into these rooms and we watch people worship and we think, well, they just got it all together. And you hear the anointed worship and then that person gets up and it's like, man, I have brokenness. And what it does is it gives us the ability to say, oh my gosh, it's okay to not be okay. Now, while it's okay to not be okay, it's not okay to stay that way. Because Jesus, the Father gave everything for you to come up out of that. But it starts with feeling like, it's a, I, don't, I no longer, listen to what I'm saying, I no longer have to hide. Because let's like, we don't have to answer out loud, but like, look, we have to ask ourselves the question, where has our hiddenness gotten us? The isolation, the drawing back from community, from friendships, whatever it is, the drawing back, where has it gotten you? What's been the fruit of it? It doesn't have to be loud. Just think about it for a second. Because if you really take account of this question, it will change the way you step into 2023. Or else you'll step into 2023 like this. This is the year of the breakthrough. The, 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 we're calling 2023 the year of the double yield. And we'll break that open. But this is my year. And it's not going to be your year. It's not. Because nothing's changed. Like, I don't care how much you proclaim it. This is, every year, it's like, this is a year. Like, I don't know, bro. I don't know. Got that same little attitude. Got that tude. And like, you don't show up. You're not in, you're not in fellowship. And you're still guarded. I'm, I'm preaching good, I know. But, but this is my last message. And so like the last thing I would want to do is for you to step into 2023 thinking, here we go, we get a fresh start, but making no adjustments. Taking no inventory of your life. Like what, I'm going away for five weeks. Part of what we're going to do is what are we doing that we have to stop doing? And what are we not doing that we have to start doing? You've got to do that because your words are powerful, but those words, you know when they hit your heart, when it becomes action. Okay. I'm going to get back. So I was thinking about the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation, and how God is addressing an end-time church, and he's speaking to them. And like us, I believe we are a church that is alive. There's a lot of life in our church. Listen, I said in so many meetings, our church is alive. There's vibrancy, there's life, yet, yet still in the middle of that, if we're not careful, we could end up becoming like one of these letters. Because what you've got to realize is all of these letters were written to a church that was alive. To the church of Ephesus, he says, I know your works, that you have tested false apostles, that you've done this, you've done that. There was a lot of things that they did. Like if you were to walk into that church, you'd be like, man, this church has got it going on. He says, yet still I have this one thing against you. You stopped doing the things you did at first. Like you stopped opening up your whole heart to me. You have, you have left first love. Now, nobody in this room would like, oh yeah, I've left that. But, but I just want to say to you, incrementally, situation by situation, 
problem by problem, frustration by frustration, disappointment by disappointment, what begins to happen is we close off our hearts. And the worst thing that could happen to you is to come into a room like this where there's so much life and people are screaming and you know how to do all the right motions, yet on the inside you're closed. Do you hear what I'm saying? I remember this, man. When I was in Jacksonville in 2013, I would preach all the messages and I would say all the things, but it got to a point walking through depression with my wife, stepping back into things I told God from pornography to smoking, where I'm like, I just can't do this anymore. I'm tired. I'm just tired. Like, I just can't do the game. I can't do the dance. I can't do the religious limbo anymore, the tango, whatever you want to call it. I've got to have real. So I'm going to shut it all down and figure out what's going on with my heart. Are you with me? So in Revelation 3, he says, I know the deeds. This is to the church of Laodicea. I know the deeds that you are neither cold or hot. I wish that you were cold or hot because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot. I will vomit you out of my mouth, rejecting you. Because you say, say, I say. <laughs> Nobody wants to say, like, that's not me. <laughs> it's okay. Because you say, I am rich. I have prospered and grown wealthy. And I have need of nothing. And you do not know. So I want you to see this. I just want to read it. I want you to tie the two together. That all of their prosperity and all that they have accumulated on their journey, which, which, let's be honest, a lot of it was probably, could have even been the blessings of God. All that they had amassed drew them into a state that they were unaware of. If they were aware of it, they would not have been spoken to in this way. Meaning in their life, they would have probably looked around and said, look at all that we have gained. God must be blessing us. We must, we must be okay. All of a sudden, they received this letter that says, you say I'm rich, I've prospered, and I don't have, I, can't. I look at my life and there's nothing I need. Then he says, but you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, without hope and in great need. So he says, I counsel you. This is what you should do in light of the discovery you have just made. Now, I'm not projecting, listen, I'm not projecting anything on you. I'm not trying to say you are the Laodicean church, but I believe there is a spirit that if we're not careful in identifying it, it can creep up. It's not about having a lot of money. They're like, well, what are you saying? If I have money, then I, no. What I'm saying is the conclusion of your life is I don't need anything. I don't need church. I don't need people. I don't need. I've got it. The principal seed of a lukewarm Laodicean spirit is self-sufficiency. I don't need anybody to tell me nothing. Don't approach me. I don't want to hear what you have to say. And Jesus is counseling them. I love it. If you've sat with a counselor, sometimes we hear that word counselor, we're like, oh. But man, when you get a good counselor, what that counselor does is it opens up your heart to step in and to receive healing. It says, I counsel you to buy from me gold that has been heated red hot, and refined by fire so that you may become truly rich. Meaning, listen, you've got a lot of stuff going on for you right now, but what, what I have for you is better than what you have. 
truly rich. I want to know what that means. Do you want to know what that means? I want to know what it means to be truly rich. Not according to an Americanized, listen, we're just talking about this. We have a gospel in America that sometimes only works in America. If your gospel and your ideology of Jesus only works here, then it doesn't really work. Says, I want that you become truly rich in white clothes representing righteousness to clothe yourself, clothe yourself so that the shame of your nakedness will not be seen. You hear what he's saying? I want to lift shame off of you. This is huge, man, because guilt has to do with what you've done. When you've done, you are guilty. But shame has to do with who you think you are. You see the difference? If you've stolen, you're guilty for stealing. But at a certain point, you can come to a conclusion, I'm a thief. Those are two different things. If you've sinned, you've done wrong, there's need for repentance. But when you come to the conclusion, sinning is what I do, therefore I am a sinner, that's, that's tough. What he's saying to you is, come to me, I want to clothe you in righteousness so that shame would be lifted off of you. And healing self to put on your eyes so that you may see. Meaning, even though they can see, there is a realm of kingdom that he's wanting to open our eyes up to. Yeah. I want you to understand something. The spiritual realm is way more real than this realm. You may not see it. It's like the wind. You feel it, but you can't see it. You can't grab it, but it's real. The spiritual realm is more real. This is the, uh, the issue we got. We're living more for this than for that. And the transference he wants us to do is this is why Jesus said, listen, the, the kingdom of heaven is near. He's wanting to make us aware that that reality is greater than this one. It doesn't mean we don't have responsibilities, right? Boo-boo, you got things you got to do. You got things you got to do. You got responsibilities. You can't live in limbo land. But what it does mean is I live my, my life in a place where I am anchored in the realities of heaven. It's setting the trajectory for my life. To those whom I love, how many of you think Jesus loves you? Okay, we'll pray for that at the end. For the, God, let them. <laughs> to those whom I tenderly and dearly love, I rebuke. This is the Bible. This is in there. To those whom I tenderly love, I rebuke and I discipline, showing them their faults and instructing them. So be enthusiastic and repent. This word repent means changing your inner self, your old way of thinking, your sinful behavior, and seeking God's will. This is why in Matthew 7 it says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and all that you need will be added unto you. You remember this scripture? It's not just a good suggestion. It's a commandment. Seek first. Say first. Seek first. Like, well, what would be my best way to step into 23? Put God first. Seek first, not your goals, not your vision board. Do all that, do all that. But first, God first. Behold, I stand at the door of the church and I continually knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will say he will. You got to solidify this in your heart. When you open the door, God will. It's not he might walk in. Maybe if I do, I don't know if he'll choose me. As you open up the door of your heart, he will. It's got to be settled. When you open up the door, God responds to your opening. And when God comes into your house, everything changes. 
you don't even believe that. It's okay. Your spirit will catch it. When God comes into your house, everything changes. Part of why things haven't changed is we've kept Jesus on the outside. Because sometimes if we're honest, Jesus doesn't feel safe. This is why Jesus in the gospel of Matthew, he's walking with the disciples. He feeds the 4,000s. He does many miracles. How many of you, I would have loved to have been there to see Jesus do miracles, bro. Spitting in the dirt, putting on like, Jesus, what you doing, bro? Would have been amazing to see Jesus. And in the middle of him, there's like a transitionary moment in his life where he's transitioning from doing the kingdom to making it very apparent to his disciples, I'm gonna be killed and I'm gonna give my life for you. In the middle of that transition, he turns to his disciples and he asks them a question. Who do they say that I am? Mind you, they've been walking with Jesus for probably two, this was probably two and a half years in to Jesus's ministry. He turns to those following us. Who do they say that I am? Like, well, some say that you're Elisha. Some say that you're Jeremiah. And they begin to say, some say, some say. Because it's, it's true. In this room, there are many different definitions of who Jesus is. Even here and now. If I was to ask you, who do you say Jesus is? It would be different. Hundreds of different responses. But I love this about Jesus because he goes from making it corporate to personal. And if there's anything I would say to you, like what needs to be settled from 2022 to 2023, it would be this question. But who do you say that I am? Now the cute church angel would say, well, Jesus, you are the Messiah and the Christ. But if you, if you really, really peel that thing back, the question, who do you say Jesus is, is manifested by the way you live your life. the amount of access that he has in your home. Think about this, man. I've said this. We have gotten to such an unsustainable pace of life that we've made conclusions. I just don't even have time for prayer or like read my Bible. We've, we're just trying to, at this point, just try to get people like, just give God five minutes. I've said this, I don't know, just give him 10, maybe it'll turn into 20. Because we've, everything is so flipped upside down instead of saying, God, I'm going to start from your word and let it set the plumb line for my life. Because I know that I know that I know that I'm going to stand before you one day. And when I stand before you, you're not going to ask me how many Sundays I attend the church. He's not going to give you a paper for how much money you gave in tithes and be like, wow, you did better than Joe. Sorry, Joe. I'm going to say John. <laughs> Sorry, bro. We'll lay hands on Joe at the end. <laughs> None of that's going to happen. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be like on that day. But I think some of the questions that Jesus is going to ask me is, Gio, I gave you the responsibility to live like me before your son. I know you think that I was very, very pleased when you preached messages every Sunday, but what I really, really loved is when you leaned into that painful situation and you loved that person through it. I love that when you were in rooms and nobody was in that room, there was still a sincerity of heart because it didn't matter who was in the room, you did it for me. 
And these are the things that we have amounted Christian, Christianity and greatness to how much ministry influence we have. And so we've excluded ourselves because of our deficiencies. And we have concluded because I'm broken, God can't love me. And because God can't love me, nobody can love me. Therefore, here I am alone. And the principal issue with sin is sin creates distance. And distance creates isolation. And God made it very clear in the beginning. If we would have been okay being self-sufficient, then he would have just left Adam. Isn't it interesting that God created Adam and everything God creates is perfect. God doesn't make mistakes. Yet God looks at Adam and somewhere down the line he says, it's not good for him to be alone. He needs another. For some of us, the greatest breakthrough, listen, I want to say, I just want to say this because I feel it in my heart. There are some of you in this room that you are incredibly powerful. Like God's, God's plan for you, you you're so frustrated. There's frustra frustration would be maybe the best word I could use of what I'm feeling. Sometimes you feel. And you think, well, when I get all this stuff figured out, then I'll step in without realizing that as you step in, all that stuff's going to get figured out. Nobody's asking you to fix everything and, and, and get it all together. What we're asking you is, will you come into family? Will you be vulnerable before the Lord? Will you allow God to grab a hold of that brokenness, that bitterness, that pain, even that church stuff? Some of the worst hurt is church hurt. How many of you can identify? It's some of the worst. Because at some point, you felt like you finally found a place where I can be real and be myself yeah, why is everybody around me so fake? It's just me. So that's why as we've been walking this thing out last week, I'm like, no, 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 we're not hiding anything. We're going to share. We're not ashamed of our brokenness because Jesus paid for that. And the truest form of family is togetherness in the midst of the fire. <laughs> I don't know. I love lots of images of Jesus, but there's just something about Jesus in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that stirs me. I love Jesus transfigured. I love all the Jesuses. But there's just something about him meeting those three in the middle of their, that was a tough moment. We talk about, yeah, God, send me into the fire. Shut up. <laughs> Stop that. Stop, bro. Seven times hotter, you're like, yeah, send me. <laughs> you won't even go evangelize at Walmart. Send me. <laughs> but I just, I just love, I just love that in the middle of that moment, Jesus is like, this is where I want them to see me. He could have shown up on the outside and walked in with them. But my gosh, it's like in, sometimes we find Jesus in the midst of our mess. And I just want to say to you, there's something about that moment that is so beautiful. If you lean into Jesus. The intentionality of Jesus is just, it's absurd. It's just, you know, we, we, did, we did the baptisms a few weeks ago. And before the baptisms, I went to um, our One Thing retreat. We send people off for a weekend. And so I went to the retreat and I had just been baptized. You guys saw the picture I was laying up on dude's lap. Yeah. So 
I came off that weekend and I'm like, hey, we've got to do baptism. So I went to the One Thing Retreat and I was just sharing with them my experience. Because what God does for one, he wants to do. He wants to do it. What he, the freedom he has in Cove, he wants to do it. And so I'm sharing with my mom the, the testimony. And I went and we were, I was there with my mom. And I said, mom, I think God wants you to get baptized. But if you know Puerto Ricans, you can't tell Puerto Ricans nothing. <laughs> Mom's like, if, if God's going to do it, he's going to have to speak to me. I'm like, all right, mom. I appreciate the Puerto Ricans. So throughout the week, right, it was like three or four times, mom's, my mom's like, God, if you want me to get baptized, would you, would you show me? You know, we do that Gideon fleece thing. We all do it. We all do it. God, if this is you, let it be dry. No, let it be wet. Whatever. We all do it. And so God confirmed it. She calls me on Friday. We're getting baptized. Amazing. But then even in the line, I love this, even in the line, she's waiting. She's like, but God, if this is really you. I love that. I love that. Because nobody talks about that. It's like, it's this great story of faith. No, bro. Even up to the moment. I'm like, God? She's like, if this is you, would you just play my favorite song? She loves the song, Goodness of God. Your goodness is running after, running after me. That song, all my life, you have been faithful. And so they're doing worship, and I'm baptizing in this tank. And I baptize the person before her. And at the moment I turn around, the band starts going into that song, The Goodness of God. I wish we were that good to coordinate that, but that's just the Lord. Because the Lord is intentional. And the great scheme of the enemy is to keep everything God hasn't done in front of you, which is robbing you of all he has done. Do you hear what I'm saying? If you focus on all God hasn't done, you're going to find things because we have assumptions and things. God's going to do it this way. But if we feed ourselves on the faithfulness of God, on what he has done, that nasty attitude will go. Nobody, nobody's got a nasty attitude in here. But I'm just saying if there was a person with a nasty attitude, not in this church, but if there were, the best way would be that you would begin to acknowledge all of God's blessings. And you would begin to feed yourself that thing. And you would begin to see how your spirit would feel lighter. Because the enemy's agenda over you is to steal, kill, and destroy. That doesn't have to happen in a tornado. It can start with just a thought. Look, they don't care about you. Look at how God is doing for everybody else, but nobody even sees you. Nobody cares about you. Nobody sees you. You're not really family here, brother. You're just playing games. A little seed. You water it with a little couple of people at work treating you the wrong way. Like, I'm going to get back at you. You drive on 60, a couple of beep beeps, a couple of middle fingers, and there you are. Full-blown bitterness. You get home at 6 o'clock, and it's like, let's go. You see how easy it is? Like, well, what's the solution, Gio? Like, maybe today, maybe, maybe today. We just say, like, God, I I'm going to make a choice. Now when the Holy Spirit goosebumps hit you, for some of you that will. I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to open up my heart. And I'm going to let you in. I'm going to allow you into that brokenness. I really feel strongly, man, that God, in these next four weeks, he really wants to deal with father wounds. 
like it would almost, I'm not going to say what I was going to say, but he really wants to deal with that thing because you've got to be able to walk in sonship. You've got to be able to know right here in your heart that you are loved by God and affirmed by him. Bro, I really feel like you're supposed to share for you. Would you come up for a few minutes? Just a few minutes and then we'll pray. Can you give me five minutes? Can you say something in five minutes? Is that possible? Um, we as a church really feel like there's power in vulnerability. And we always try to be aware that there would be no separation, that you would think, well, they're the staff, so they're anointed. But we allow you into our moments of brokenness and what God's doing in us in hopes that you would allow God to do it in you. Amen? So Tal has been walking through a season, and I just wanted to share shortly, and then I want to pray. Yeah. Uh, so just I think the best way to just sum it up is be um, it's weird to to be somebody who is in ministry or who's a Christian or even in ministry and then to have like father wounds, right? Or to have things where you are not seeing God correctly or not seeing yourself correctly. And the best way I could describe where I was living from, because it all kind of came to a head a couple weeks ago. And I'm just so lucky that I have like brothers and sisters around me who are like accepting of my faults and shortcomings. The best we're going to describe it is in the story of the parable, the prodigal son. There is this son we all know and have learned about that he goes and sells his inheritance and all this stuff and he comes back and it's great. And then you have his older mean brother who's like, you know, talking crap about him. The problem is like when you look at the scripture, Jesus starts that story out by saying a man had two sons. And so the story was always about both sons. And the difficult thing is for when you are that second son and you live in your father's house or you live on his property and you do all the stuff and you live by the rules, you think you're good. You think the problem is with the first son out there doing the stuff. I'm here. I don't have orphanness. Orphanness is out there partying. The problem is when the, the, the first son, when, when, the, when the prodigal came back, it exposed the orphanness in the other son. And the Lord has just been taking me through a time of exposing orphanness in my own heart. It can come out in competition when you look at other brothers and sisters in Christ and they're having breakthrough. And instead of celebrating and real just like happiness, you feel like, well, where's mine? I don't, you feel like because they gained something, you lost something. And the problem, the, the, the root of it is you think God only has a limited supply and he's choosing who to dote on his children. And because he chose them, he did not choose you. And it's an orphan spirit. My wife and I are, are in the process of adopting a child and we, we, you know, it's in our heart. So one of the things they teach you though is that children... You bring them into your home, you give them everything, you know, and it can be still years and they won't trust your love. And I think that's what an orphan spirit, at least for me, that's what I've been operating in. The Lord has been so generous and, and, and kind. And one of the things he was speaking to me even just last night 
is on the other side. So your orphaness and then sonship. In the middle there is the father's embrace. It's because I can see, I can read, I can know about the father's love. But until I sit in his arms and I feel them squeeze me, then I, then I become, I, I receive his love. Receiving his love is not being able to quote John 3.16. Receiving his love is touching him and him touching you. And I just agree with, with, with Gio that I just feel like so many of us walk around like that son and we're working the fields and we're doing the stuff because we're like, if I can do all this stuff, it'll make dad proud of me. And all the time he had two sons that were wayward from him. One just lived a little closer. And yeah, so like I would try to fix it with doing more things, doing the stuff. I got to pray more. I got to do this. I got to do. And because now I'm looking at other people and looking at Marcus, looking at Gio, looking at whoever. And I got to do the more stuff. And all the while it's growing bigger and bigger and deeper and deeper. And I'm getting more and more just unsatisfied. And through God's, I'll land it here. Through God's grace, he was just like, you don't need to do more stuff. You just need to reconnect with me. It's all wrapped up in the Father's embrace. Yeah. I'm sure he's going to be sharing more on that, but that's what I want to pray into. Without loud worship, just I just feel like starting us on this journey of like, God, I need to reconnect with you. This is not a heaven or hell. I'm not saying you're unsaved. I'm just saying if you feel distant, Let's start on the path back to reconnecting with the Father. And let's not live in this world where, like, you always get picked last on the dodgeball team. Like, let's just let God affirm that and lavish His love on us. So I just, I don't, I don't really, I'm going to be honest, I don't want to do, like, let's close our eyes and bow our heads. I just want you to be honest in the midst of family. Like, if you're here, like, man, I just feel like it's, I'm a little distant right now. And I would love that gap to be bridged. Would you just raise up a hand across the room and we're going to pray. It's fine, all across the room. Just leave it up. You could stay seated. We want to pray for you real quick. If I can get my prayer team to just come, I actually just want you to stay comfortable and seated. We're going to pray over you just real quick. If someone's around you, just maybe put a hand. Just leave it up until somebody comes. I, just, I really want us to pray as family here. Anyone else, just hand up. Mm. There's some people over here. Can I get some people over here? I really want everybody to be prayed for here. I just feel like it's important. I'm asking the Lord to rip that frustration out of your heart. That frustration that's manifesting in anger to do things out of character. I'm just asking the Lord right now. Father, in Jesus' name, can we just pray? In Jesus' name, we thank you for lavishing your love. Thank you for the boldness of these ones that would lift up hands and would say, God, I am, I am pursuing. I am pursuing wholeness. I'm pursuing the Father's love. I refuse to live in this place of trying to earn that which you have given. So God, we pray right now that you would break off the frustration, that clenching, like I even just see like you clenching a steering wheel, like just, oh, 
Father, I pray that you would release grace, grace, grace. Would you lift the burden of frustration, of anxiety, of anger, even the voice of accusation that would shame these ones. You're not good enough. You don't do enough. You don't live like this. You don't do like that. God, lift the burden. Lift the burden in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come in, to come into every space where the enemy has come in and tried to accuse. They tried to, like, I just even feel like Zechariah 3, when the enemy is accusing Joshua and the Lord rebukes the accuser. He says, enemy, I rebuke you. Father, we rebuke the enemy in every space and place in their home, in their mind, through family members, through husbands and wives. God, would you bring encouragement right now by the Holy Spirit? Would Holy Spirit, would you bring comfort? Would you bring peace? Would you bring peace? Just a few, just a few minutes longer, family. Would you bring peace? Would your, would your rest come upon them? upon their minds, upon their children, upon their finances. Father, as family, we stand committed to walking with them. We say you no longer have to hide. You no longer have to play the game of charades in church. Father, give us grace to be able to live in community and love. In Jesus' name, would you bring deliverance would you bring deliverance? God, we receive your love. Father, we open up our hearts. We thank you, Father, that you see us and you hear us. God, even the dreams that you have implanted in hearts that have become heavy, They've become heavy. God, would you give grace and perseverance to go all the way? We relinquish disappointment. We thank you that there is salvation for those that call upon your name. We declare the name of Jesus over every marriage, over every household. The name that is above every name. That every demon, every sickness would bow. Father, we ask for great grace and wisdom to step into the new year new. I just want to release, man. I feel, I spent years in church wrestling with this issue of I just don't belong here. And I pray by the Holy Spirit that, that the Lord would give you peace, that he would confirm you belong and we need you. We don't want anything, for, we're not trying to, uh, we don't want from you, but man, we would love to do life with you. God, would you speak into hearts that have been troubled by what they've seen?
God, I'm asking you to birth trust in hearts. Birth trust into hearts, Lord. last thing I just want to pray is that God would you just remove every weight some of you have been living with this weight you feel it when you go to sleep you feel it when you're driving there's this weight and the word of the Lord says come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and that will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We ask God, would you release that yoke? Even the lie, if I don't take care of myself, then nobody will take care of me. God, deliver us from that. We give ourselves to you. You have become our deliverer, the one who cares for us. We ask God that you speak to us on what adjustments need to be made. <sighs> 